Welcome to Black Men Speak. We like to highlight ordinary Black men doing extraordinary things. And today's first show of the season has some, I have to say, some extraordinary Black men. And I just can't wait to uh, kick off the show and talk to them today because we have a very special program uh, that we're going to talk about because, um, you know, unfortunately, so far we're still dealing with COVID. Um, we have a we have the Omicron variant and, you know, I've heard we had a Delta Omicron variant somewhere or something like that. But, you know, who knows? We not, can't keep track. But also uh, on January 6th, um, who I like to call is the Jackie Robinson of actors, Sidney Poitier passed away. So uh, I thought it would be a great opportunity because how often are you going to hear a group of black men talk about the legacy of Sidney Poitier. Um, and even better, I wanted to have individuals that are uh, in the entertainment industries right now. So I want to bring them up. And first, we're going to mention uh, Tracy Grant. He is, you know, he used to be a staff writer in Lincoln Heights, which is one of my favorite shows, by the way. Um, and he was a faculty member of the American Film Institute Conservatory. And he's currently the executive producer of a show on all black TV called Lace. Uh, we have our next guest, Eugene T. Barnes, if you are a regular follower of the show. He was on just a couple weeks ago or about a month ago now um, because he is a, a comedian and he has a web series. I'm sure it's going to go, uh, I don't know, 2022 or whenever it's ready by storm, uh, but it's called The Come Up. And then we have, um, I would say, one of my heroes. Uh, and, Stop uh, it. Hero to many. Stop <laughs> it. But we have Mr. Mo Kelly because, <laughs> hey, he is the, he's award winner, y'all. Award winning Mo Kelly show. Um, not just a show, but he himself is award winner. So um, just want to say, welcome, fellas. How you doing? How you guys hey. doing today? Keith, Welcome. I don't want to correct you. You're just my brother, my friend, and we'll just keep it at that. Okay. Well, yeah, we titles yeah, we, aside. I mean, we are, but you know, you know how it goes. People just want to know who's in the room, and that's the great thing about it. We, you know, some we just have to kind of showcase our accolades. Keith, every he's, now and then. He's, so if it's one, one day, my, one day or two days, you get to we get to revel in it. Let's just revel in it. He is one of my heroes too, as well as a friend. And thank you for having me on. You know, it's game time. We do. We can do the friend stuff afterwards. How's that? <laughs> I think the audience will put it together that uh, you know we're we're all friends here. Yeah. So it's great because you know, and I didn't give uh, Sidney Poitier's accolades, but you know, as you know, he was the first African American uh, black act to win Best Actor award. Uh, he's been in such roles as you know, Lilies of the Field, He of the Night, To Serve with Love, some of his great movies, and then. Um, Guess who's coming to dinner? And then Uptown Saturday Night, Stir Crazy. He directed those films. So I, I just wanted to get, you know, started and try to ask, um, you know, do you remember your first time you saw Sidney Poitier? And what was your first, you know, recollection of him or your first memory of him? So I'll let the person who hasn't on this show first get started. And that's Tracy. Go ahead, sir. Well, if I'm honest, and thanks again for having me on. Great to see everybody. Honestly, I would have to say my first exposure to him was 
reruns of Uptown Saturday Night on Channel 11 in New York, I believe. It was very, very young, saw it in reruns. I might have seen Let's Do It Again with my mom in the movie theater. And, you know, little black kid, you're just excited to see black people in a world as similar to yours on the screen. But I also, and I watched a lot of reruns, you know, TV was my babysitter, Latchkey Kid, that whole thing. And so one of the films that they showed a lot was also Lilies of the Field. And I didn't understand why they always showed it maybe around holiday time. And so one day I watched it, nothing else to do. And I didn't have the vocabulary at the time. I couldn't articulate it, but there was an energy about him, a humanity in that particular role. Um, he popped on the screen, as we say, in the business. So again, I couldn't put it into words because I was a little kid, but I, I saw that the first time I saw Lilies of the Field also. Oh, okay, great. What about you, Eugene? Uh, my first, uh, I guess, introduction to Sidney Portier had to be like uh, college. Um, I went to uh, acting school. Um, I had, you know, seen him and knew the name before then, of course. But when I really got to delve in, uh, I went to an acting school in New York City, um, New York Conservatory uh, of, the, of Dramatic Arts. And um, New uh, acting school in New York City, there's very few black people. <laughs> um, around. So I went to school with a lot, a lot of white people. And um, I had a teacher in particular who would really just down um, black people in the industry. And he was like, you know, the talent's not there. He said these things. Like nowadays mm. he would be like, just cancel. But he was like, you know, there's no talent in the, in the community, the stuff we've done. And, you know, and he kind of he was brainwashing the small group of black people that there were in the school, you know, and I had, I had like friends and colleagues that would like, were agreeing with him, black people. And I'm like, no, y'all no. So I took it upon myself to do my research. And then Sidney Portier was one of the first people that I came across, you know? Um, and the first film I think I saw was, um, guess who's coming to dinner. And, uh, so yeah, man, I had to take it. And, you know, we started our own little, like, Black film class within this school, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that was like my first, he was one of the first ones I was able to bring back to that teacher and was like, no, well, look at this, you know? Mm. And so, yeah. That's wow, that's I'm interesting. Right. That, that I can't wait to hear your answer to this other question I have. So uh, what about you, Mo? I like Tracy, we're around the same age. So we were probably exposed to him at the same time. I don't know if it was Uptown Saturday, Saturday night or guess who's coming to dinner. It might've been the same year that it was shown to be, but my father specifically sat me down. It was one Sunday afternoon. I do remember that. And we were watching guess who's coming to dinner. It was on TV. And he pointed out to me, look at this man, how he comports himself. And Sidney Poitier in that movie specifically, if you don't know, it's about how he meets this white woman in Hawaii and he, and he meets the family He's the, the surprise who's coming to dinner and he has to meet these supposed white liberal parents and convince them that they should get married. Now, for me, unlike Tracy, my world, I was going to mostly white schools so I could identify with his plight, trying to convince the wider white world of his own worth. And there was something else my father pointed out to me. Look how he stands up straight. Look at the dignified manner in which he, he carries himself. He is proud of who he is. I remember my father pointing out those things mm. to me. And so that's something that I took away from everything I watched 
uh, with Sidney Poitier, because at the same time, in, in the, the middle to late 1970s, you could still find Al Jolson and Amos and Andy reruns on TV. Mm-hmm. There was still this dueling, um, yeah. I would say, dialogue, if you will, as far as what a black man should look like on TV. And he explained to me that Sidney Poitier was profound, if only because that was the first time in which black folks were really allowed to lack, uh, to act alongside white folks in, in a non-subservient way. And so that was some, that was my introduction to Sidney Poitier. That's great. And so what I found fascinating, so they had, of course they did a, everyone was doing the exposés on uh, Sidney Poitier last, you know, last weekend. And I watched uh, CBS Sunday morning. And so they, what was fascinated me, of course, he taught himself how to read because he, you know, started American Negro Theater. And then he initially didn't get, um, he didn't be, wasn't able to work on that because he couldn't read. So he taught himself to read. But what I found fascinating, I'm sure he, he talks about in his, his uh, <clears throat> memoir, is that there was a Jewish man that basically realized that he couldn't read and helped him um, learn how to read so he could, you know, go on to who he had become. So I wanted to ask all of you, because you have are in the entertainment industry. Uh, was there a uh, non-Black person that kind of saw your potential along the way and helped you get to where you have become? And you don't necessarily have to give them a shout out, but how did that help you get farther in your industry? And what what did that feel like? Mo, I'll, I'll let you go first. Um, I can think of two individuals and it really had nothing to do with my career, but more like my formative years and my development. I remember, I remember my second grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Cochran. Um, she said to me in front of my parents and also administrators, this kid needs to be tested for AT academically talented. I remember that to this day Mm. because I was reading at at a level, as I, I was told much higher than the other kids in the class. And I was one of the first black kids in the Torrance Unified School District. This is maybe 1975, if I remember correctly. So you have someone, when it wasn't even um, cachet, it wasn't even cool to talk about moving Black kids ahead. And you had someone who said, no, 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 make sure that he is tested accordingly. That's one person. And also my senior year AP English, to to make it really come full circle, uh, AP English teacher who's no longer with us, Barbara Hawkins, who said, you have something. Once you realize you have something, you can go a long way with it. And so sometimes you have to have someone see things in you that you can't see in yourself. And I'm appreciative, at least, of individuals who even though I was the only black kid in the class knew that they had a role to play and influence that they could, um, they had, they could impact me in a positive way. So Barbara Hawkins and Mrs. Cochran. Great. Tracy. Well, like, like Mo, I've had some, some non-black teachers along the way that helped me and encouraged me to develop and cultivated what they perceived as some, some potential. Um, from high school uh, through college, even graduate school, there, there are certainly some professors who did that. I have not had the same mentorship uh, in the entertainment business. And Sidney Poitier's memoir talks about, you know, this Jewish man was a waiter at a restaurant where he worked and they would sit down after the shift and the waiter would help him 
improve on his reading, his enunciation, uh, expanding his vocabulary, what have you. So I have not had that uh, in my creative journey. I have certainly had acts of kindness that led to me getting hired, first breaking the business. So it's, I'm not saying I haven't had help, but mm-hmm. that kind of mentorship I did not have. What I did have, though, was Sidney Poitier's autobiography. And mm-hmm. the first version was called This Life. He later did another one. It's very similar. It's called A Measure of a Man. Mm-hmm. Everyone listening should go out and get that book today, particularly um, those of you who are creative, artistic, um, certainly Black creatives, that book let me know that it was possible. And it gave me like a real world, tangible example that it could be done. And in the early days, that really was my North Star. Like it just, it gave me so much belief because this guy was a lot like my dad. You know, he's a Caribbean ignorant immigrant, just like my father. He came to the States on a boat, just like my father. Spoke with an accent. Um, so that book was big for me, um, although I didn't necessarily have the non-Black mentor. Uh, for me, um, in particular, my teacher really stands out. Uh, my eighth grade uh, drama teacher at the time. Um, that was kind of the only thing I was ever really I guess good at only space I was comfortable in, wasn't the best student, never really played sports. Um, And, you know, like typical comedian, I was like class clown. It was uh, like uh, seventh grade, I believe, when I met her. Um, Her daughter also worked in the school and her daughter was my teacher. And uh, she came in to the class. I'm like causing trouble. And what I did was um, I had a pretty good English accent at the time. And so she was a new teacher. So I spoke in an English accent for like half a year. And she believed that I was like, <laughs> that I was English. And so it got to the point even where I, w- I would be speaking, kids would be laughing at me, they would get in trouble, because she thought they were picking on me. <laughs> and they're laughing because they know I'm not English. And so when she found out, like she didn't get mad or whatever, she did get mad, but she didn't like punish me or anything. She was like, I got somebody I need you to meet. So she took me to her mother, who was the drama teacher at the time. Um, before then, I had no real like like idea of what this thing was that I had, you know what I mean? Just making people laugh or whatever. I didn't know, you know, even think about it as like a career or whatever. And that teacher, Ms. Zoya was her name. She uh, is her name. She's still here. She uh, took me aside like, yo, you need to like do this. Like I have this program or whatever. And so she put me, um, you know, in skits, whatever. I did talent shows and everything like that. And um, she's actually how I got into the acting school that I attended in New York. I grew up down in Florida. Um, So she was like, there's an audition in Orlando, which was like the next town over from me. Um, I think you should do it. I had no real, um, it's by this high school at this point, we kept in contact. And so she hit me up about the audition, had no real idea, you know, what I was going to do, hadn't applied to any colleges, anything like that, just kind of seeing what was going to happen. And so I went over to the audition she told me about, I got accepted to my acting school on the spot and like moved to New York and have never 
I'm still here. So <laughs> look back. Do you yeah. still break it? Do you still break out in the accent every now and then? It's not as good as it used to be. <laughs> I haven't had to use it like that. It's not as good as it used to be. <laughs> I figured you would do that just for entertainment purposes with your kids. So <laughs> we, we do it. We do it because they try to do it. And I try to try to help them out. Uh, oh, okay. when, they, when they hear it in movies and stuff, they try to do it. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but they do it. So, yeah, so let's kind of get in a little bit of the, you know, kind of the nuts and bolts of who Sidney Poitier was as an actor. Because, you know, in the beginning, he, he was very um, strategic in his roles uh, that he took because he wanted to focus on race-neutral roles because he wanted to change the kind of the perception of who Black actors were. You know, of course, you know, around that time, we were probably playing butlers and and uh, we could probably go down the list of everything. So, so I want to kind of start with you, Mo, first. One, because you're out in kind of LA and here, but do you think that he accomplished his goal, kind of changing that perception for all the, you know, for the black actors that came after him? Oh, absolutely. Uh, sometimes you have to be able to see it in order to envision yourself being it. And I think he served as the prototype. Uh, I don't think that you can say that we would have a Denzel Washington today in the way that we look at Denzel Washington, who's just a great actor, or even a Will Smith, unless Sidney Poitier walked in those steps before him. Um, we've had plenty of great actors, but a, a lot of times they were relegated to just black spaces. You know, one of my favorite of all time, I would love to have seen what Paul Robeson could have done mm. today. Yes. with the vehicles which were available today. And unfortunately, he was not given that opportunity. Um, I wonder what Ossie Davis would do today yeah. as opposed to maybe 40, 50 years ago. You know, and, and I think people like Spike Lee for making sure that subsequent generations did not forget about him. But as far as Sidney Poitier, he, there was a line, in fact, in uh, Guess Who's Coming to Get Dinner, where he's talking to his father, and he's chastising his father, saying, you are stuck in the past. You used to see yourself as a colored man, where I, Sidney Poitier's character says, I just see myself as a man. And I think he was speaking not only to the camera, not only to the audience, but also to Black people specifically, like, this is where I want to take Black folks more generally, will you please come with me? Mm. To put an even finer point on the question, in the early 1950s, Sidney Poitier turned down roles before he was famous, before he was wealthy. He did not have very much money in his pocket at all. He was washing dishes, in fact, when he first got to New York. And he turned certain roles down because he felt like the roles did not rise to the dignity that he wanted to portray on screen. And so think about needing the money, being broke, needing the opportunity, like black folks talk about how tough it is in Hollywood now, imagine the early 50s and he turned roles down. He made the strong choice that we all have of saying no at great sacrifice and at great cost to his livelihood um, before you know he had enough roles to kind of get his career going. So it's tremendous uh, the choices that he made and the understanding that he had in terms of the impact of, uh, of the film medium. I also just throw in, you mentioned 
Uh, and again, this is in his book, A Measure of a Man, the American Negro Theater, which is Harlem Theater Company, was sort of the forerunner of the Negro Ensemble Company that kind of came to prominence late 60s, early 70s. From that company, we get James Earl Jones, Ossie Davis, later Denzel Washington, most famously in A Soldier's Story, uh, which was the film version of A Soldier's Play. And A Soldier's Play was the play that put that theater company on the map. So Sidney Poitier is very much the father of all of these folks in terms of their career and the path that he laid. Um, and to Mo's point, Paul Robeson was blacklisted um, for having the similar integrity and being outspoken about his views. Like he literally was barred from working in the theater. And Sidney Poitier, you know, he, you could make the argument that he may have been the only one who was allowed him and Harry Belafonte, speaking of the 1950s. And he said, well, were these guys really that good or was it just that they were the only ones who were let in the door? But Sidney Poitier in particular understood he had to be that good because he was kind of carrying it for all of us to come after him. And he knew that if he didn't have a level of excellence, he wasn't going to get another chance. So, you know, he was that dude for a reason. And it's it's the accolades he's receiving and respect, well-earned, to say mm. the least. Right. Anything else to add, Eugene? He definitely um, opened the door um, successfully. And because of him, you know, we're in a space where Black people are, Black people in entertainment are like more in the forefront than they've ever been. And not just in front of the camera, people are acting, people are writing, we're producing. You have people like, you know, young people like Issa Rae and you know what I mean? That are just like, have exploded through that door. And then to, to Mo's point earlier, you mentioned, um, how uh, Sidney Poitier stood up at a point and was like, you know, you see yourself as a colored man. You know, I'm just a man. I think that was very necessary at the time. But I think we've come a full 360 with that, where black people in entertainment are allowed to stand up and say, I'm a black man. I'm a black woman. And it, it carries a certain weight almost, you know, at, at this point, you know, where, where without him saying that we couldn't have gotten to to this point. You know, where we're really allowed to speak up, express our our true voices and be ourselves. You know what I mean? Right. And that's a great segue. I'm glad you, you ended with that because then kind of when we got to the 70s, though, we turned on that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because uh, due to the Black exploitation uh, in the 70s, uh, Black men were more criminals, pimps, thugs, and we looked upon them as our heroes where, and then it kind of, and I don't know if it forced him to, uh, Sydney to kind of shift gears a little bit and kind of go in the comedic route. But, you know, what do you think about that? Is it maybe our fault because of it? And then based on his kind of shift to comedy, did he have a, uh, good comedic timing because you know some of those movies are very good and and um and so i'd love to get your thoughts on that you know eugenie you can start since you are the comedy man but i'd love to hear you know what you think about that because that's very strange you know he was mm -hmm. basically the father of 
black male actors, black mm -hmm. actors in general. Mm -hmm. But we, why did we, why do you feel we turned on that? I think um, to, I guess to just in general, you know, why we, why we turned to that um, or on that. Uh, I think it was a there was an embracing that that happened of of blackness, um, you know, just besides entertainment, just in culture. You know, you had the Black Panthers and everything around that time. Um, there was just an, an embrace of of blackness. And I think with, without Sydney, like I said before, we had to have that point where just see me as a man, see me as a woman. You know what I mean? And then once that was, you know, set in place, OK, I'm allowed to, you know, from from that like foundation. You know what I mean? Now we're able to, okay, I am a black man. Like I do have this certain swag and this certain way of carrying myself and, and speaking. And there was this whole embrace of that, you know? And then I think um, with, with Sydney making the pivot to comedy with, I mean, yeah, he had excellent um, comedic timing like with, uh, you know, all his movies. Um, Guess who's coming to dinner? And, you know, it was, he tackled heavy topics in those, but there were comedic moments, you know what I mean? Um, and I think he did it. I think he did it very well. I think he showed his versatility in that in that, you know, switch and pivot. And um, I think that was I think it was all a part of the journey because we had to stand up and say, yes, I'm just a man. See me as that, you know. But now at this point, we can start to just embrace the nuances of who we are as a people. And I think it I think it it went in a, at a wider range than just entertainment. It kind of exceeded entertainment in that time. It was just, it was the culture. We were standing up and saying, this is who we are, you know, in America and see us for who we are and respect us for who we are. So mm -hmm. I think Sydney had a lot to, to do with that, even though, like you said, it wasn't what he originally came out and, you know, stood for, but I think he was, he still had a great part in that movement. So. Okay. Tracy, anything to add? Um, for sure. I think when he transitions to a director, uh, and I think there was a, he did one called Buck and the Preacher yeah. before Uptown Saturday Night. Uptown Saturday Night was sort of the big breakout hit. But this is early 1970s. So let's remember he's had a run of over... 15 years by that point. And, you know, we don't have time for all of it, but some of the Blackboard Jungle, uh, To Sir With Love, The Defiant Ones with Tony Curtis, A Patch of Blue, uh, early one called No Way Out. He plays a black doctor and the patient is like this white bigot and he gets in trouble um paris blues with diane carroll guess who's coming to dinner in the heat of the night um he won an oscar for um lilies of the field i believe so he was on top of the business by the time he gets this opportunity to direct i believe it was like a multi-film deal columbia or someone but even then it was very rare or black man to get that kind of deal. And so by then, and he didn't write the movies, Uptown Saturday Night, Let's Do It Again, but he was a master storyteller. He had such a deep understanding of both his audience and how to tell a good story and how to maximize 
comedic talent that those movies still resonate. So, you know, for Mo and my generation, and Keith, you you can weigh in on this too, that some of those films that came out of that 70s black exploitation era still hold up today, stand the test of time. Uptown Saturday Night, um, Claudine, Cooley High, Let's Do It Again, you know, Stir Crazy, which is in, in the 80s, Richard Pryor. Sidney Poitier is a huge contributor to, to that work. And he really, take it a step further, he brought back and reinvented the buddy comedy. Like those movies with him and mm -hmm. Bill Cosby. And I know Bill Cosby is persona non grata today, but Sidney Poitier, as a director, brought that buddy film, that buddy genre back. We hadn't seen that since, you know, the 1950s with um, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin. And so his contributions as a director almost approach his brilliance as an actor. Mm. And so whatever people have to say about his loyalty to the black community and how he felt and how he did, it's like the work speaks for itself. At some point you gotta give it to him, like the proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. So I believe that Sidney Poitier was always on two parallel tracks. He was making sure that he was bringing along black people and and um, solidifying a positive image of us in media. That's one thing, but also showing larger society that we were capable of so much more. It wasn't just that we could be an actor and he succeeded in ways with all great due respect that Gordon Parks did not. Um, when you talk about let's do it again, and you have a, a predominantly black cast and you're trying to reach a predominantly black audience, that's one thing. But when you talk about stir crazy and the mainstream nature of that and how it showed, I believe, to larger society, yes, if you give us the big budget and yes, if you want to put in a white actor like Gene Wilder, that's fine. But we can make movies and create for wider audiences, which I think even resonates today. When you see someone like a Ryan Coogler be handed this big budget, even though it was for Black Panther, but you can tell stories which are universal in nature. And I think Sidney Poitier, if anything, was talking about the universality of the human experience and laughter and these experiences, which he could communicate either through his acting or his direction. Great. That's that's perfect. So. So if you had to, in your kind of in your own words, say what you feel his legacy, just to the entertainment industry, and I guess we can talk about acting specifically, but he also was a writer uh, as well. Um, what would you say it is? Wow. Um, I don't know if I can put it into words, but I think that anytime I see someone, a black man on screen, be able to play Macbeth, or Lawrence Fishburne playing Othello, or or Lawrence Fishburne playing Morpheus. I think the legacy of Sidney Poitier is you can find the dignity and the humanity in Black people without denigration or subjugation. I would be forever eternally grateful to just making it known that we are a regal people. And I can point to Sidney Poitier and say, he showed everyone how regal we are. Eugene? I think Mo said it. I feel like that was just the, the nail on the head, man. Like, you know, 
he just he opened that door for us to just be seen as as human, as intelligent, regal. You know, dignity is like the first word that that came to mind. He really took us from, you know, only being able to, you know, play butlers and, and maids, and you know, to be able to be doctors and lawyers like on, on TV. And I think it translated into society, you know, into people who are actually lawyers and, and doctors and things like that. He really played an integral part in opening those doors. So I think that's the legacy. OK, Tracy. Well, I, I would say he set the bar high mm-hmm. and in his work, he inspired all of us who came after him to set the bar high. And so if you set the bar high enough for yourself, in spite of potential discrimination, in spite of situations that may seem less than fair, if you're really, really good, you're going to get your due sooner or later. Um, so the discipline and the consistency for sure, but at the very start, like you have to be good. Like he made no bones about that. Like you can't just be okay. Like you got to really set the bar high and achieve a level of excellence. And that's what will, will carry you forward. So I took that from him for sure. Wow. Great. One thing I, I saw, cause I watched to, uh, serve with love to serve with love the other night. And one thing that we, you know, I hadn't heard yet is that he had poise. He had poise and, and of course it's acting, but he seems like to me, he treated everyone as humans. I'm a man, you're a woman. We can, we can coexist and get along uh, for, not just for the, the sake of the work, but for the fact that we have gifts that we can share each of us and it, it kind of came it did come out in that movie but just who he is as an individual so that's what i you know kind of the big takeaway uh from that so so it's safe to say i mean and this may be a debate a yeah, nice fun debate that he would be on the mount rushmore of black act so who who would join him on that uh mountain Today, who do you think would be joining him if we had to carve it out uh, today? Mr. President, Joe Biden gave us the wherewithal to make it, and we, the four of us, had the ability to do it. Who would be else? Who else would be on it? How many do we have? We have a limit. How many people? <laughs> well, well Mount Rushmore right? only has four. We only have four. Rushmore, so, right? four. So who, who else is going to be on it? Sydney. You got to put Denzel on there, I think. Um, came came with him. Um, Harry Belafonte. I had to finish it off. Somebody, I don't know, man. Denzel, Harry Belafonte, Sydney, maybe Will Smith. Okay. Yeah. Tracy, you agree? All right, you want to? Um, you want to take somebody I'm not, off? Not mad at any of those choices. Um, <laughs> four is tough. Four is hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, four is, oh, four is tough. Okay. Yeah. So Sydney Poitier. Uh, Denzel for sure, Denzel Washington. So that now gets tough. Yes. Um, I would put Jeffrey Wright up there. Mm-hmm. Not mad at that. Good. Yeah. And, very good. Yeah. And for me, Eddie Murphy. Mm. Not um, mad at that. But yeah. if there's one spot, it's probably going to be either Eddie Murphy or or Don Cheadle. Mm. But mm. I believe Eddie Murphy as an actor 
has the has the range and has put in enough work that yeah he deserves so, that yeah. kind of attention. To your point, Tracy, his range is very, very underrated. People don't take him seriously enough as a, as a serious actor. He's very good. And like, he immerses himself. But that's a whole nother. Yeah. yeah Agree. And, and maybe I'm not, but Jeffrey Wright, I, I may be familiar by face, but Jeffrey Wright, what was he in? Um, these days, he's probably most known for Westworld. Westworld, uh, the Bond HBO. series uh, with Daniel Craig. Yeah. yeah. Um, he put Felix... In the James Bond movies, mm -hmm. he's uh, yeah, Daniel Craig's guy. If okay, you remember the Shaft remake with Samuel L. Jackson? He's Peoples Martinez. Peoples, <laughs> Peoples. Yeah. yeah, okay. He played right. Dr. King, yeah. Oh, wow, movie. okay, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Good nice. luck, yeah. yeah. Okay, Mo, would you? I gotta go. I'm a little bit more old school. I know this is arbitrary, but when I think of Mount Rushmore, I think of not only their ability and their contributions, but maybe even their activism and how they may have influenced future generations. And so it's harder for me to reflect on those right here, right now, mm -hmm. because I can't necessarily accurately uh, assess their impact on future generations. But I would say, obviously, Sidney Poitier. I would say James Earl Jones. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I would say Paul Robeson and mm -hmm. Denzel Washington. And my, you know, right there, Right next, if we had a fifth one, I would say Ossie Davis. For sure. Ossie Davis, okay. So yeah. that's interesting. I, I like all of those. But one of the things I don't know if anybody mentioned, and he, he hasn't done a lot, but if we want to add all of the – he has does comedic time. He has had some um, philanthropy and kind of activism. Uh, Danny Glover. Oh yeah! Oh no, he's right there too. Yeah, that, that, like sure. Tracy said, you know, it's it, after tough. the first two, it's real tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's yeah. real tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I wanted to give him a shout out. So, um, but that that's that's a, that was a fun game to play. But all of those, if we had nothing else to say, is that Sidney Poitier was able to pave the way for all of those those brothers, and yeah, and I think that he has he, he has left a legacy, and I think tonight. Um, tonight's show has really um, explained that he has really left a legacy uh, for all of us. So I just, I really want to thank you guys all for being on tonight. So um, you guys have been on the show before, except Tracy. So you already know kind of the last question that I have. So you don't have to answer, but Tracy hasn't. <laughs> and he doesn't know this question is coming. So, but it's a little, I always want to, no, it's not just about what we do, but how we feel. So my question for you, and, it, and you guys can also answer if it's changed. You know, Mo was on earlier in the year, um, last year, and, and you know, Eugene's late, so it might not have changed. But my question for you, Tracy, is um, how are you feeling right now as a Black man? Um, I am feeling grateful. Um. I want to be hopeful. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic, um, but I also have a lot of gratitude. Um, a lot of folks have not made it this far. Um, you know, I kind of came out of the early days of hip hop and the music business. We lost a lot of artists. Um, 
rap artists in particular this past couple of years. Um, lost some folks to COVID in 2020. I did. And so, you know, these are very challenging times. So I'm very grateful to have uh, friends and family, um, including you brothers on, on this episode of the podcast. I'm just meeting Eugene, but, you know, Keith and Mo, you know, we go back a ways. And I'm optimistic, but it's a cautious optimism because these are also kind of potentially perilous times um, for people who kind of grew up where I grew up. And so, you know, you got to stay ready so that you don't have to get ready. But at the same time, it doesn't always have to be doom and gloom. Just, you know, mm -hmm. tell your loved ones how you feel and, you know, do something good for somebody and try to relax, get your work done first and, you know, have some fun after that. That's kind of how I approach it, you know, day by day, week by week. If, if I don't have any other answer, that's where I am with it. So hopeful, but cautiously optimistic. That's great. And uh, you don't have to add, but if you want to add something, Mo or Eugene, yeah, feel free. The floor is yours. I would just say this very, very quickly. And Tracy hits upon it correctly, I think, in the sense of you kind of have to continuously reassess where we are. And I don't remember my answer before, but I would say now, um, yeah, there's hopeful. There's a hopeful nature to me. And also, like Tracy, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I can't deny the circumstances of where we are. I feel legislatively and socially, in many ways, we're closer to the 1960s than I would say the 1980s and, and just the overall sentiment and the trajectory of black men in general. It seems like the election of Barack Obama sent this country into a tizzy and it's just seemed like it's open season on black men more generally. And I hope that this country proves me wrong. And um, but hope has to do with the absence of evidence to support it. Optimism says that I can point to something which says, yes, we're moving in the right direction. I'm hopeful that we're moving in the right direction, but I'm not optimistic that we are. Eugene, anything to put a bow on that? Yeah, just um, <clears throat> I will continue in the sentiment of just you know, uh, what, ho hopefully. Uh, what'd you what'd you say, Tracy? Cautious optimism. Cautious, cautious optimism. I think that's it. You know, we're always hoping for the best and believing for the best, but you can't ignore what's going on. Um, and then um, to me, uh, just the weight of you know a black father. Like I have young children. My first son just turned like one years old. So like you know to, to that weight and responsibility of okay, we need to make this better for him. You know what I mean? It's always like on on my mind. Um, so yeah, I think I think that, that that's it. You know, looking forward and you know being being aware, not being just blind to what's going on, but hopeful that it'll get better because you know we we have come a long way. You know, we got a long way to go, but you know it's not what it used to be. Well, fellas, um, thank you uh, for those listening tonight. Uh, this has been a fantastic show. If you need to put something in your uh, search engine. You know, search Eugene, uh, you know, the come up, Tracy Grant for his uh, show, uh, Lace, and the Mo Kelly show, which is a award winning show. I'm going to end with that. Um, and uh, thank you. And so I hope you guys have a great night. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, brothers. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, guys. You know. What a lively debate. 
we had with our guests. Question, who would you have on the Mount Rushmore of black actors? Did you like what the panelists came up with or would you have a different list? If so, we'd like to hear from you. So if you could record yourself and send me an email to info at keithdent.com. I'll be sure to share it on the next episode. Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Dent. You can catch previous episodes on Libsyn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we we can't just tell our stories. We have to share our stories, too. As you know, we like to end our show with a quote, and it would be short-sighted if we didn't share a quote from the Measure of a Man author himself, Sidney Poitier. And it goes something like this. I don't mean to be like some old guy from the olden days who says, I walk 30 miles to school every morning, so you kids should too. That's a statement born of envy and resentment. What I'm saying is something quite different. What I'm saying is that by having very little, I had it good. Children need a sense of pulling their own weight, of contributing to the family in some way, and some sense of the family's interdependence. They take pride in knowing that they're contributing. They learn responsibility and discipline through meaningful work. The values developed within a family that operates on those principles then extend to the society at large. By not being quite so indulged and protected from reality by overflowing abundance, children see the bonds that connect them to others. This is Keith Dan from the Black Men Speak podcast. Peace.